0: I want to do today is I want to talk about five kingdom prayers, five kingdom prayers. Uh, and I want you, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, or your app, I want you to turn with me to two passages of Scripture uh, to begin with, and we'll be looking at a number of passages of Scripture, so please uh, go with me to each one of those. The first is in Mark, the fourth chapter. It's a brief story that Jesus tells, and if you want to go ahead and find that and uh Uh, Go over to the book of Revelation chapter 14, the last book of your Bible, chapter 14, uh, and it's a follow-up to Jesus' story uh, about the kingdom harvest. And so, uh, Revelation 14 and uh, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus constantly told stories that had a kingdom impact. Jesus was totally about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, when he taught us how to pray, he taught us how to pray about the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Remember that? And uh, so this passage of scripture is not surprising that Jesus once again talks about the kingdom. In verse 26 of Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. And night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of grain are formed, and finally the grains ripen. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle for the harvest time has come. Everybody say harvest time. Revelation chapter 14 describes the events in the soon future when Jesus returns to this earth. In chapter 14 and verse 15, it says this. I'm sorry, verse 14 says this. Then I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man, that's Jesus. And he had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, in other words, shouted to Jesus, swing the sickle for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe, so the one sitting on the cloud swung a sickle over the earth and the whole earth was harvested. Let's pause and pray together this morning. Father God, I just pray that you would um, speak through your word to us today about what it means to pray, sincerely pray, several Kingdom Harvest prayers. Speak through your word today, deep into our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am uh, Neil Wheeler. I'm Director of Leader Care with Waypoint Church Partners. Uh, As Director of Leader Care, I get to hang out with pastors like yours. I get the best job in the world. I get paid to drink coffee and eat lunch with ministers. Now, how much better can it get than that? But that's really just a platform for me to be able to sit and listen and hear stories of pastors hear stories of vision like Andrew has shared with me about uh, where he saw before you are now, what he saw God doing in your midst, or to hear heartache stories from other pastors as they're going through uh, troubling times. But that's what I get to do, just be able to hang out with ministers. I believe that it's so critically important uh, for us to understand that every organization, just like Waypoint, a church, or even our prayer lives, We need to really have mission clarity about what we're trying to accomplish. At Waypoint Church Partners, uh, our mission is to be a catalyst for kingdom growth, and we do that in a couple ways. We plant churches. We've planted 154 churches since 1938, and we'll plant two more in September, one on the 10th of September in Durham, North Carolina, and one on the 17th of September, the next Sunday, and Ashland, Virginia, and we're really excited about that. But the other thing that we do uh, to catalyze kingdom growth is to be able to partner with churches just like y'all. Come alongside churches just like y'all to encourage and help you get on mission and stay on mission. Now, that's what we do. I believe a church needs to be very clear about what your mission is. You need to know what it is. You need to know what you're trying to accomplish so that you actually hit the target. I think it's important in our prayer lives to understand what we're trying to do in our prayer lives. Now, we pray about all sorts of things, but this morning I want to focus this down on just one area of prayer, and that's praying concerning the kingdom harvest. I believe it's important for us to know what we're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, don't know your mission, you're kind of like the guy that goes to Little league uh, baseball game, and he walks up in the stands, and he's walking up in the stands, he just said, does anybody know what the score is? And a lady behind him, in a very condescending voice, said, Sir, at this level, we don't keep score. The score is having fun to having fun. The guy sits down, and his uh, buddy beside him punched him and said, Well, just so you know, so far, our team's had fun eight times, and her team's only had fun twice, okay? (laughs) This morning, what I want to do is talk about two things. I want to talk about the what. I want to give you five kingdom prayers, what to pray, king of prayers. But before I get to that, and much more importantly, I want to talk about why we should pray those, two king, those five kingdom prayers. So let's talk about why you and I should be praying kingdom harvest prayers. I want to give you three reasons this morning, and then I'll share the five prayers. Reason number one for praying kingdom uh, harvest prayers is because the kingdom harvest is coming soon. Now, whether we refer to it as the kingdom harvest, or we refer to it as Jesus' second coming, or we refer to it as the day of the Lord, Jesus' return back to earth is one of the most frequently attested to events in all of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, Jesus focuses on the kingdom harvest. And over and over and over again, he describes what it's going to be like and when it's going to come and how, and how it's going to come, rather. He says in Matthew 24 and verse 27, as lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. Matthew 24 and verse 36, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man is going to return. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father knows when the Son will return. Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus says, Keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. My friends, today we don't talk, I think, near enough about the day of the Lord and His soon return. And I think because of that, the church has missed a lot of its motive for why we need to reach lost people for Jesus now. The Lord could return now. Today. I'm heading back to Richmond this afternoon, and if the sun's out, I'm gonna meet up with my family. We're gonna to go to our, our pool this afternoon. But I would be thrilled never to stick a toe in the water if Jesus would come back first. Gonna give you an amen on that. I got a lot of stuff planned, a lot of fun stuff out here, and spent some money on bouncy toys and all that but it would be wonderful if Jesus came back and you didn't get to use any of them this afternoon. Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back soon. Can I get an amen on that? The New Testament church was birthed out of the knowledge that Jesus Christ was going to return. Take your Bible, look with me, the history book of the, uh, of the early church, Acts chapter 1, and in Acts chapter 1, Jesus makes uh, 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 gives his uh, uh, disciples a command. And right after that, I want you to notice what happened. In chapter 1 and verse 8 of Acts, it says, But you, Jesus is saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. First in Jerusalem and throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Watch this. And after saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And they strained to see him rising into heaven. And as they did that, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The New Testament church was birthed out of uh, the knowledge that Jesus was going to return. But if you turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, what just happens to be the first book of the New Testament to be written, very early on, the Apostle Paul writes to a church uh, that's under persecution, and he said, I want you to know about the uh, coming of uh, of Jesus. It says in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and then together we with them who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other these words. The early church, it seemed like, the only thing they ever talked about, the one thing on their mind was the fact that Jesus Christ was coming back soon. They believed it so much, apparently in the church, especially in Thessalonica, that a lot of people were quitting their jobs. Makes sense, if Jesus is coming back like today, why do I need to work anymore? That was so much the case in the latter part of the little letter Second Thessalonians. Paul writes very practically, and he said, look, if a person won't eat, I won't work, they shouldn't eat. And so get back to work, Jesus, uh, the apostle Paul was saying. The New Testament church believed with all of their heart that Jesus Christ was returning soon. Did you realize the last words of the Bible that Jesus ever speaks are about his soon return? It's found in the last book of the Bible, uh, chapter 22 of Revelation, and uh, the next to the last verse of your Bible. It says there, he who is faithful, the faithful witness, that is Jesus, to all of these things that have been written to you, says, I am coming soon. My friends, you and I need to pray kingdom harvest prayers, number one, because Jesus Christ is coming soon. Be aware of that. Know that. Think of it regularly. Talk about Jesus' return and his soon return on a regular basis. But there's a second reason why we need to pray kingdom prayers, and that is because, next slide, most people aren't ready for the kingdom harvest. Now, I know that there's an attitude and a a thought and a teaching that, uh, you know, uh, uh, God's such a loving God, and He's kind, and He's merciful, and He's forgiving. Certainly, everybody's going to go to heaven. There's no way that a God of compassion and love would dare send anybody to hell. In fact, I don't even think that hell is uh, a real place. So many people believe that today, but... That's not what Jesus says at all. Will you turn with me to the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 of Matthew, and I want you to read this startling uh, statement that Jesus makes about individuals who choose to go to heaven and individuals who choose to go to hell. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Everybody say only. Only. In other words, there's not all kinds of roads to heaven. There's one road. There's only one road. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. For the highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many, watch that, many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road very difficult, and only a few people ever find it. Here the words of Jesus, Matthew 24 and verse 30. Jesus says, The Son of Man will appear in the heavens and there will be great, listen to this, great mourning among all the peoples of the earth as they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with, a, with great power and glory. My friends, I have to ask you this question. You're smart. Why is it that the nations of the earth will mourn the moment they see Jesus coming on the clouds. Now, I do not understand this, how that's going to happen, but the Bible says that every eye will see Jesus when he descends on the clouds. I, I don't understand it, I, but it's not my problem, okay? I, I, I God will figure out how that happens and already has. But the Bible says that, Jesus says, on that day, there will be huge amounts of people Mourning, not rejoicing, mourning when they see the Son of Man coming. Why? Is that? First, Second Thessalonians chapter one gives us the answer to that. In Second Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a church who is persecuted, who actually had members die, uh, be executed for uh, their uh, their faith. And uh, Paul writes in First Second Thessalonians chapter one and verse seven. Listen to this. When the Lord appears from heaven, he he will come down with his mighty angel and flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. My friends, right now today, there are 8 billion people who live on our planet. 8 billion. Two and a half billion of those are born again Christians. Two and a half billion. Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world. It's the largest religion in the world. You say, well, I don't see that. Not in the United States. Uh, can I, can I tell you, there's only one country in the world where the church is flatlined in growth. Only one country in the entire world. You know what country that is? Right here. All across Asia, all across Africa, all across South and Central America, the church is exploding in growth, in just remarkable, remarkable growth. But there are 2.5 billion. Individuals who are Christian. That means there are 5.5 billion people. 5.5 billion. With a capital B. Billion people. Who do not know Jesus. As Savior and Lord. 107 people die. Every single moment. Every single minute in our world. During this. 30 minute talk, 3,200 people will die. And before you eat lunch tomorrow, 154,000 people will breathe their last breath. And according to Jesus, most of them will step into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. My friends, we need to pray, pray kingdom harvest prayers because most people are not ready for Jesus. There's one last reason very, very quickly. And that is we should pray kingdom harvest prayers because we all have a kingdom harvest duty. You know what that is? Take as many people to heaven with us as possible. Jesus tells you, tells us Matthew chapter 28 that our job is to go in all the world and make disciples. And your world isn't Timbuktu, it's your neighborhood. Go into your neighborhood and share Jesus Christ with people. Let me give you five kingdom prayers. You can jot them down if you like to. Five kingdom prayers that uh, will change not just your life, but will change the environment of the people around you and will draw people closer to the church. Prayer number one, pray that God would deploy kingdom workers right here in this place and from this place that God would deploy kingdom workers right here in this place and out of this place. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 2, do you realize there's only one time that Jesus gives a prayer request in all the Bible? This is it. It's the only time Jesus ever said, hey, y'all pray for this, all right? Listen to what he says. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his harvest field. At Waypoint Church Partners, we are asked all the time uh, to, to, uh, uh, by, by churches, church leaders, how, how can we uh, help our church grow? Can you just tell us what to do to make our church grow? And uh, uh, quite frankly, I can tell you, uh, there are two huge things that most churches do not have that y'all do have, okay? Can I tell you that? Number one, for a church to grow... You have to have a strong sense that the Lord is present when you gather together. I love your prayers. I love your worship songs. I love what you did together, what you've done together. You know why? Because all of that invokes the presence of the Lord here. And when the Lord's present in a place, people just show up. I can't explain that. But when the Lord's present in a place, people just come and say, I want to be a part of it. First thing that a church has to have Uh, To grow is the presence of the Lord. Y'all got that. Y'all got that. Keep on doing that, brother. Keep on doing that. Striking the iron just week after week after week. The same thing you got to have are excited people. People that are so excited about their church that they can't wait to tell somebody else, hey, you got to come to my church. My church has done so much for me. It's helped me in my marriage. It's helped me in my kids. You got to come to my church. Would you be a church that would pray on a regular basis? God, would you just de- de- uh, deploy our people into the world around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Pray for kingdom workers. Prayer number two: Pray for eternity-focused eyes. Pray for eternity-focused eyes. Jesus says in John forty, uh, John chapter four, verse thirty-five: Wake up, see the fields that are ripe. For harvest, all around you, my friends. I want to tell you, there's never been a time in my life when more people are ripe for the gospel than they are right now. You know how I know that? All I have to do is drive down Interstate 95 and see the anger in people that I'm driving with. Man, they are mad. Uh, it, it's it's crazy. Uh, you know, people are lonely like never before. COVID shutdown caused so many heartaches, but one of them is loneliness. People are, are mentally and emotionally uh, uh, troubled at a level never before. I went to the doctor the other day, uh, two weeks ago, and uh, I uh, had uh, I, I saw something I knew I was going to see. I knew I was going to, I read about it. Uh, but, but when I went to the doctor, uh, before my da- doctor ever looked at me, did anything for me, They had to do a a mental health checkup on me. Have you been there? Have you been to the doctor? You know, how are you doing? Are you sleeping well? Uh, Are you scared at home? You know, uh, what they're trying to figure out is emotionally and mentally how you're doing. Why? Because we as Americans as a whole are an emotional and mental wreck. And there are people all around us. All around us that uh, are just hurting, that are hurting. I would suggest that you would just pray, Lord, help me to see people with eternity eyes just the way you see. Them. Every door that I open, every car that I pass, every shop that I enter, help me to see people, Lord, like you see them. There are only two categories they're either lost or they're saved. And help me. Understand. Friends, I want you to understand that if you're praying for lost people and you're frustrated because it doesn't seem like God's answering your prayer. I've been praying for my for my cousin. I've been praying for my neighbor. Just doesn't seem you know what I tell you to do? Keep on praying. Just be persistent. Don't ever, never, ever, ever, ever give up. Ever give up. My daughter was a long way from Jesus, my oldest daughter one time. She was so far away from Jesus, uh, it it was heartbreaking for us. How long do you suppose I stayed on my knees for my daughter? Until she came home. And if she'd never come home, guess what? I'd still be on my knees for her. Pray, pray, pray for open eyes. To see lost people. see lost people. I stopped at Starbucks down the street for a little while before I got over here looking for a message one last night. And uh, there were 14 people in that Starbucks. You know how I know? I was looking and praying for each one of those people. They would find Jesus. Jesus. Before Jesus came. That's prayer number two. Prayer number three. Pray that you would live with a kingdom purpose. Pray that you would live with a kingdom purpose. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, Live with Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time someone saw you and said, there's something different about you. I, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Everything's falling apart. Your world's falling apart. Your wife, my wife has had cancer. How do you keep it in the game when all of that's going on? How long has it been someone, since someone asked you about the hope in Jesus Christ that you have? If it's been too long, and I got to tell you, I, I know why. Because you're not living, you're not living uh, with Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And so I just suggest to you that you pray, Lord, help me live uh, a, a transformed life as a child of the King, someone who knows Jesus, and someone who knows that Jesus is coming back soon, and someone who can point other individuals to Jesus. Prayer number th- number four, I would encourage you to pray that your church would be a rescue outpost. Thank you, Andrew, for using that word this morning twice. A rescue outpost for lost people. Jude uh, is the half-brother Jesus. He only gets one chapter in the Bible. Uh, you think at half-brother Jesus, he'd get a whole lot of chapters, but he only gets one, but he has remarkable things to say. In verse 23, Jude says, rescue lost people by snatching them from the flames of judgment. My mother passed away uh, this the fall before, before uh, uh, COVID hit, and I was so glad. Mom was in an assisted living center in Salem, Virginia, and I would see her uh, about every two weeks. My job allowed me to be able to make trips down uh, to meet up with pastors, and I would see her about every two weeks. Uh, the day before she died, and her death came kind of, uh, not unexpectedly, uh, the day before she died, I was in Salem, uh, and I was going to take her to the doctor. And uh, mom had not, she had dementia, and she had not known me for for three years. I would go visit my mom, sit and talk with her, and then leave and go out in the parking lot and cry. I mean cry uh, and, uh, uh, before I could get my back together to drive on down the road. And, uh, but that day, uh, when I went in, mom was sitting at this at her lunch table, And one of her aides that had been her aide for a long, long time was sitting there helping mom eat. And uh, mom was eating. By the way, my mom, when she had dementia, she ate stuff that she never would have eaten before that. I mean, all kinds of food she ate. But anyway, she was eating, and the aide was helping her. And she turned to her aide. She didn't even notice me. She turned to her aide, and she said, "Did did I tell you my mother and father came to see me the other day? Uh, No, that my father came, uh, that my family came to see me the other day, that's what she said. And uh, the aide said, well, Irene, this is your family right there. That's your son. And she looked at me, and whenever mom was confused, she would just change the subject. off And she changed the subject, but I knew with dementia, it was only going to be 30, 45 seconds. She's going to be right back again to where she was. And she looked at me. And she said, son, and she did not call me that in three years. Son, did I tell you my mother and father came to see me last night? No, ma'am, what did they say? They said they're coming to take me home. The aide looked at me and said, now, Neil, you know what she's talking about. And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. Took her to the doctor that afternoon, and the doctor said, your mom seems fine, her heart seems like it's getting a little worse, but I don't see her death as being imminent. And he called me the next morning, about 9 o'clock, and he said, "Uh, Neil, he'd never called me before, uh, and he said, Neil, I I need to call you to apologize, because yesterday I told you your mom's death did not appear imminent. Uh, The assisted living center nurse just called me, and they said, your mom is, is dying. You probably will want to. Come, and I apologize. I apologize for giving you wrong information. I got in the car and I was on my way, and just about halfway there in Appomattox, uh, the uh, hospice nurse called and said, "Your mother just my mother-in-law, several years ago, several years before that, passed away in a, a nursing home in uh, in Martinsville, Virginia. And uh, she uh, was a believer in the Lord, uh, and we said all day long." Listening to every uh, Bill Gaither song known to man. He loved the Gaithers. And for half the crowd, you don't have a clue who uh, Bill Gaither is, okay? But we, we wouldn't have all this cool music today if it were not for Bill Gaither, I guarantee you that. And, but we listened to all that music, and Carol's mama uh, never really responded, but she had such a peaceful face, look on her face, and she passed away that night. Her nurse, I was in the hallway. Her nurse told me the most frightening statement, story I've ever heard in my life. She said, "Uh, Mr. Wheeler, it's obvious that Ms. Dillard is going to go home soon. Not always that way, she said. She said, I was here one night with an old grumpy man who hated everybody, it seemed like. And every time a minister would come to visit him, uh, he would cuss the minister out and throw him out of his room. I don't believe nothing about that. Jesus, I don't believe uh, nothing about it. I don't want to hear anything about it. But she said, the night that he died, he screamed over and over Somebody put out fire. Feet. Right. Feet. Now you can choose to believe those two stories or not. But what I want you to know, when you share the gospel with someone else, and you breathe, and bring them into a safe relationship with Jesus Christ, you have literally snatched them from the fire. I have one last prayer, but I want to show you two pictures, images, before I get there. Uh, The image on the left is from my hometown, Richmond, Virginia. Richmond was capital of the Confederacy. Richmond, uh, this monument on the left uh, is uh, uh, to commemorate uh, the largest slave block that we had uh, in in America. Uh, More slaves stepped foot, uh, more Africans stepped foot, uh, uh, first on American soil in Richmond, my hometown any other city uh, in, in the United States. And uh, they would uh, uh, step foot on the south side of the James River. Most of the uh, city was on the north side of the river at the time. And, uh, but they would step foot for the first time on the south side of the James River, Manchester Dock, and they would unload the cargo of the slave ships always at night always at night, and they would march them shackled, hands, feet, chained together across the Manchester Bridge and up the uh, Walk of Slavery to about this spot, which is right under Interstate 95 in my city, of Richmond. Why did they do it at nighttime? Because they did not want to disturb the good citizen Richmond. By the stench, by the moan, by the surprise. The The other image is an image of a train track that's going into one of uh, the Nazi uh, death camps in Poland. My father-in-law was one who helped liberate Auschwitz, and he said we had no clue what we were going to. He wouldn't even talk about it for decades. We had no clue what we were going to, but miles before we got there, we could smell it. We could smell it. And we knew something bad was happening. Train tracks like this came from all over Western Europe and all over uh, now Eastern Europe and converged on these death camps. And they would be loaded uh, in boxcars. You can go to uh, the Holocaust Museum uh, in down downtown and see one—literally see one of the boxcars that were used. And they would be crammed so full of Jewish people, and they were they couldn't even—they couldn't sit down. They couldn't lie down. They were crammed in as tightly as they could, shoulder to shoulder, and as they were taken uh, to the death. It was said that when they would pass by German villages, especially on Sundays, when the church was gathered for worship, that the minister would say to the song leaders, would you sing our songs a little louder this morning? We don't want to have to hear their cries. Our friends all around us, there are people that are crying out, crying out, crying out to know Jesus, Savior and Lord, be an outpost church, one last prayer, very quick and we're done, did you know the last prayer in your Bible, you know what that, you know what that is? Just after the last verse of your Bible, just after Jesus says, I'm coming soon, briefest, shortest prayer in the Bible. Stand with me. and We're going to pray this prayer together. Stand with me. I'll tell you the prayer, and then we'll pray it together. The prayer, simple prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.